We're so very excited for another episode here. I'm Haley. And I'm Johnny. There you go. Are you with me here? <laughs> and this is Dr. Joe Pesky, and he is here to talk to us about science today. And this is Johnny, Haley, Johnny, Doc- Haley, Dr. Joe, Day of Fun. Day of Fun. And we're so super <laughs> excited to have you here. So um, I Thank know uh, that you have kind of a, a broad swath of things that you are able to speak on in terms of science. As- astronomy is your area of expertise. So if you can give just a little introduction to yourself and your background. Yeah, sure. Great. Thanks for having me. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm yeah. looking forward Pleasure. to having fun. Um, <laughs> so I'm a I'm a astrophysicist. And my research area is supermassive black holes uh, in in galaxies and how they affect the galaxies that surround them and vice versa. That's definitely one of my favorite subjects. So we will definitely have to get into that. Um, And I know that so recently you had visited the Alma Observatory in Santiago, Chile. I know that you said Mm -hmm. um, so. Can you talk a little bit about that facility and the equipment that they have and, and what is the work that they sort of focus on? Yeah, sure. So ALMA is, is an acronym for the Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array, A-L-M-A. And it's a radio telescope, radio observatory uh, in northern Chile, high in the Atacama Desert at about 16,500 feet altitude, 5,100 meters. And it needs to be there because the the light that uh, Alma observes is absorbed by water vapor in our atmosphere. And so you need to be in a very dry place so those little photons of light aren't absorbed by water vapor. And it's very dry there. And Alma is making fantastic observations of, of mostly the cold universe. So gas that forms stars and planets, uh, gas that's within galaxies, gas that's around black holes and uh, in the very early universe. And it's making fantastic observations. It's a tremendous observatory. Uh, It's one of the most complicated scientific instruments on Earth. And it's one of the most sought after instruments. So uh, astronomers who use it apply for time. And if they have a uh, you know, a project that's of interest, then they're granted observing time. And the oversubscription is is uh, very large. So for every hour of observing time, there's maybe six or seven hours of requested observing time. So this is, this, this is you, you know, it doesn't sound like a good thing, but it's a good thing. It means that, uh, you know, astronomers are really interested it's in using in high demand, right? Everybody wants to yes, be there. Exactly. exactly. Very yeah, cool. Sure. Very cool. <laughs> so I know John had another question he wanted to ask. Yeah. I was going to say, like, as far as, like, things that you study in the sciences that you study, what are some things that still puzzle you? Like, because a lot of people would say, like, black holes or, like, maybe even parallel universe theory. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's some there's different avenues you can go. So what still puzzles you as a scientist? So, the uh, well, I, I can say that actually... Uh, you know, almost everything is a puzzle, right? So astronomy, we know a lot about the universe and we know a lot about the universe through our astronomical observations. But, you know, like any science, nothing is, nothing is uh, concrete and definitive. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't know. We think we know things, but, you know, there's more to learn. So almost everything in astronomy is, is actually kind of puzzling, right? You look at it and you think, you know, the, the universe is, is doing this fantastic stuff, mm-hmm. making stars and, you know, stars work and planets form. And we're finding that planets are probably around every star and every, every, yeah. uh, you know, so, so it, it's all just amazing. And we learn new things every day. And we realize that the stuff we thought we knew, you know, we're, we, we don't fully know. Having said that, so that's kind of a, you know, a, a flip answer. 
but it's true. Oh no, but, it is true, and that's but that's why you keep doing science so you can keep you know yeah. searching and finding the next new truth and the next you know information that we didn't know existed, and and if you didn't investigate it, you wouldn't know. No, that's right, and 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 you know people think that when when uh, science is settled, as lots of things in astronomy, you know th that that's a definitive answer, and and that's not how science works, right? There's always an observation that's going to come tomorrow that might throw that. Uh, in complete disarray, and then we have to mm -hmm. start over from scratch. Yep. One of these, or a couple of these areas that I'm finding really interesting and perplexing at the moment is observations by ALMA that we just talked about, and by the Webb uh, Space Telescope, which yep. is you know a, a new and shiny instrument that's out there in space and is actually quite complementary with with uh, with ALMA. Um, they're observing similar things in different parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. So we're getting a bigger picture of, of the objects that, you know, that both observatories observe. But okay. what, what we are seeing from these two observatories, but, but not only, from other ones as well, as we gain uh, better instruments on, on existing observatories, we're seeing objects in the very early universe that aren't behaving as we've expected them to. So Can, what, what do I mean? Yeah, yeah, when you say very early universe, right? You know that the because light travels, you know we're, what we're seeing is essentially the past, right? When we're observing yes. what's happening out there, yes. so that's such an interesting mm -hmm. way to sort of visualize it. So yeah, do talk more about that. Yeah, so so you know astronomy, as you point out, is a time machine, right? Everything we observe astronomically, even the most nearby object like the moon. Right. Mm -hmm. It is we're observing it in the past because light takes time to travel to us. Um, so the very early universe. Right. We have this model that Big Bang formed mm -hmm. the universe. And so when I say very early universe, I'm talking 200, 300 million years after the Big Bang, maybe up to a billion years after the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. And as our instruments become better and better, we're able to see further into the past that is closer to the Big Bang event. And what we're observing with, with Webb and, and Alma primarily, but, but again, not only, are big galaxies that are bigger than they should be, kind of in the 300 to 500 million year range after the Big Bang. Uh, and we're seeing very large supermassive black holes at about the same time that are so big we don't know how they got that big and in fact according to the three or four ways that we think uh, black holes big big black holes can can become that large uh, there's not enough time for them uh, you know in that two three four five hundred million years after the big bang to have become that large and so we're seeing these big structures there uh, at a time when it seems physically impossible that they could have become so large. And so, you know, that's really interesting. I yeah, mean, because you have to, you have to measure it kind of based on the observations we have of other black holes that are, I don't know, I guess you'd say nearer or younger is maybe the right way to say it. So, I mean, that's, it's interesting, sort of like the further you get out, then the further away you get, does, does, I guess, maybe time seem to operate differently then? Is there something or what, what's the theory there or are there theories there on, OK, well, if it should not be that big in that amount of time, does time operate differently where they are? And or, or how is time affected in the distance between us and what we're observing? That's a kind of breaks my brain to think about it a little bit. Yeah, right. So, so that that's an interest that's an interesting um, way of looking at it, frankly, and it's one that that uh, I haven't thought about. I I think perhaps though that you know time is maybe not changing. Although I'll have to go away and think about this because maybe maybe that is our solution. Uh, but that but, that's, but it is. It's interesting. But like the I think of like. Um, I know I don't again, I'm not a scientist myself, but like I am a kind of a, you know, science nerd. I like these concepts and I, I watch sure. a lot of, you know, Nova and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think time dilation is one of the things I was thinking about in like quantum physics. You know, is there some something 
there that if you extrapolate that out into a, like a much larger scale, could it also have a, that kind of similar effect that would be happening in that distance where time is, is affected based on, you know, the fact that light does like light is the only thing, right. That is at that constant speed. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I don't in, know. It's interesting. In vacuum, yes. So, in yeah, a vacuum. That is a, that is an interesting perspective. Uh, it, you know, in, in, in science, we like to use the, the concept of Occam's razor, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the simplest explanation is probably the, the, the more likely one, or at mm-hmm. least that's the one we go with until, you know, something proves otherwise. So if, if it were a, a time variation effect, that would have um, very complicated knock-on aspects for, for, for basically everything. So I think rather... I, I, the solution is going to be that our understanding of how galaxies form and how supermassive black holes form is flawed in some way. Okay. We, we we think we know pretty well um, how that works, but you know, as, as we started off saying, we don't know everything, and mm-hmm. we we can certainly be wrong. And I think that the simpler explanation is that we you know our understanding of black hole formation and galaxy formation is is just not complete and so these new observations are are, they're certainly showing us that that's almost certainly the case right because we have these things that we that are unexpected and we can't explain them uh so it could be that that something funky is happening in the early universe in a way that you know we hadn't anticipated maybe time i think more likely it's that we're just we don't have a complete understanding uh we we don't think we don't know as well as we think we do you know what's Mm -hmm. going on with with uh, black holes and and galaxies but again that's you know that's the nature of science and new observations come up and they show us something completely unexpected and now we have to try to figure out what's going on and so it's really quite exciting i think it is really exciting. And for me, like, you know, I and I we've talked about a little bit before, like I do write science fiction also. So, you know, sort of incorporating the more speculative elements of <laughs> science and what could these things be is really exciting for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the realm of of puzzles of the universe, like I do love the questions about like black holes and like what what's on the other side, sort of, so to speak, of a black hole, right? And like, if you, if you could throw something in there that would give information back to us, like what, where is it going? Where does it lead to? And um, so if you could talk a little bit about that and like, and another topic, like for me, that is really fascinating is like dark matter. And it kind of goes along with black holes in my mind in, again, the science fiction realm so far that if, um, could could there be like, dark matter or black holes could be part of like parallel universes that, you know, I don't know if maybe wormholes are kind of the, those sort of things that people speculate about, but that fascinates me. The idea that there might be something just right here, you know, right next to us, so to speak, that is just, it it is a different frequency or something that we don't understand how to interact with based on our sensory observation, right? That it's there. We just don't vibrate at the same rate or something. And so we don't interact with it. That, that certainly could be the case. Uh, you know, some of these things we have to we have to think very carefully, though, because you know they're they, they are science fiction, and so we're using our mm. imagination to, to to think about these things. And and we can certainly postulate, you know, uh, come up with some sort of idea of, of something. But unless we can test it, of course, then it's not it's not right. scientific, and, and it is in that realm of science fiction. Uh, so along those lines. Uh, starting kind of kind of backwards from from what you what you were mm-hmm. saying, because you mentioned something that's very near to us that that we're not necessarily able to detect. Uh, you know, in some some theories of the universe, we have uh, multiple universes mm-hmm. that are in a certain dimension are only millimeters away from us, right? So these universes are stacked next to each other in a particular dimension. And they're right. literally only millimeters away in that dimension. And so that that could certainly be the case. Again, I'm not aware <laughs> of any way that we can test that at the moment. And so that has to remain in the realm of science fiction. But it's such a fun theory, right? Like it's, well, it's so, so fun to play with. 
For sure. you know, absolutely, in, in all cases. But one of the things that I find intriguing is that we have uh, the force of gravity, right? And the force of gravity is one of four fundamental forces. The other forces are operating mostly at the nuclear level and subatomic particles and uh, at, at the, in the centers of you know, atoms and their nucleus. And it's what keeps particles uh, sticking together and it's what keeps protons attracting electrons and, and whatnot, so these, mm -hmm. other, these other forces. They are very strong in a relative sense <laughs> compared to gravity. And okay. gravity, not only is gravity different in that it operates at a much larger scale than these other three forces that are acting on subatomic particles, gravity mm -hmm. operates on a much larger scale, but it's also tremendously weaker than all these other forces. And it's not completely understood why that's the case. Uh, <laughs> some speculation or yeah. you know, science fiction speculation at the mm -hmm. moment is that the graviton, which is a particle of gravity, just like a photon is a particle of electromagnetic uh, radiation, uh, the graviton, for whatever reason, can travel between these parallel universes. And we know in, in our universe that, you know, gravity, the force of gravity drops off over distance. And so the further you are from a mass, the weaker the gravitational attraction is. And mm -hmm. so if the graviton is tra traveling through these parallel universes without us really understanding, you know, realizing that because we can't tell that that's happening, then as it's traveling through the parallel universes, it's traveling much further than we would have expected if it's just coming through our universe. And that's so then the force, you know, and, and so that might, that might be why the force of gravity is so weak because it's traveled much larger distance than just traveling through our universe. It's going through multiple universes. That's really Again, interesting. That's, that is a super fun theory. I like that. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll be able to test that. We can't today. So it, that remains in the realm of science fiction rather than science fact. But it is something interesting to, to mm -hmm. think about. It is really interesting to think about. So uh, if you could talk a little bit, too, though, about like black holes. I, I again, from things that I've watched on Nova, one of the things that they talked about was that and I don't know if I maybe understood it very well, but like the outside of a black hole sort of contains the information of light or things that have gone into it in some way. I don't know if I was understanding that, but if you could talk a little bit about that and how that works or how we currently sure. understand how it works. Sure. So that you know, a, a, the black hole is a region of space where matter gra and gravity uh, fundamentally has uh, gravity has basically crushed matter out of existence and that creates what we call the singularity so very energetic events create the singularity such as very large stars much bigger than our sun exploding violently in in a in a in, in what we call a supernova mm -hmm. and that explosion uh can crush the the central region of of the star uh, before it exploded, down into uh, in, into nothing. And so it creates this thing called singularity. What do I mean nothing? I mean, spatially, there's zero dimension. That's hard to visualize. That, That's <laughs> it, it, Well, it, in fact, it's impossible to visualize, yeah, right? And, and, and even more so, whatever, I mean, the, the, the former core of the star, the mass, has not disappeared it's still there because you can't get rid of mass right so that in in you know, in in the laws of nature we have the conservation of 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 matter and energy we can we can go between matter and energy the famous uh, e equals mc squared equation mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Einstein's famous equation you can change you know you have matter on one side mass on one side and and energy on the other side you can and you can go back and forth there's an equality so you can you can create matter out of energy and you can you can create energy out of matter, but you can't get rid of it. Right. So the the central region of this massive star that exploded and, and collapsed now has zero radius, but all of the mass is retained. So that means that the density is infinitely large. 
and it makes a very extreme gravitational anomaly, which is what we call the black hole. Okay, okay. I'll come back to that in a second. I was going to say this is this I this fascinates me so much, and I do yeah, it it, I do try to visualize it in my mind, but it's again like how do you visualize nothing? <laughs> it's you can't. Yeah. Well, well, so you can't visualize nothing, but you can you can visualize that intense gravitational field, right? If we had a if we had a sheet of rubber and you put a bowling ball in there, right? You see the deformation. Mm -hmm. If I now have something that I've crushed out of existence and, and, and have a mass that I've crushed out of existence and have zero radius, you know, that deformation is, is a deep, infinitely small uh, uh, hole in the, in, the, in, the, in the sheet of rubber, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we call the singularity. Outside of that, we have something that does have a dimension that's called the event horizon. And mm -hmm. the event horizon is basically the last orbit. If something is orbiting the singularity, it's the last orbit outside of which uh, uh, something can escape. So me as an astronaut floating mm -hmm. around, right? If I'm mm -hmm. outside of the event horizon, I can hope to escape off into more distant uh, space. And within which the event horizon, I will fall into presumably the singularity. So yeah. the event horizon is that region, again, within which nothing can escape that falls mm -hmm. through it, not even light. So astronauts, spaceships, pieces of dust, uh, planets, right? Mm -hmm. Photons of light, if they fall through the event horizon, they're never coming out again. Okay. Presumably, and I say presumably because we don't know what happens inside of the event horizon, everything yeah. falls into the singularity. We don't know what happens inside of the, of the event horizon because nothing can escape. Mm -hmm. So, and, and in particular, information can't escape. So I can't send a spacecraft that's transmitting, you know, a message mm -hmm. as, it's, as it's falling in. Uh, as it's falling in, it's transmitting that message. But once it falls through the event horizon, it's gone. The, it's gone. And, and, and the message doesn't escape. So we don't know what happens within the event horizon. Okay. So can this, I don't know if it goes together or not, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking of like dark matter and they talk about dark matter is, um, you know, the only thing you really know about it is that it has yeah. mass and does not interact with light. <laughs> so is there anything then comparative between the two, you know, dark matter doesn't interact with light, and then the singularity beyond the event horizon of a black hole also doesn't interact with light. So, you know, it is dark matter again, science fiction speculation, right? Is is dark matter sort of the uh, the other side of the black hole, right? Like not the uh, event horizon that we can see, but whatever it is on the inside the singularity, and that's what dark matter is. And then on the outside of that are all those other infinite galaxies and universes or, or what have you that are stacked on top of each other. You know, that's the thing that fascinates me. It, obviously again, how do you test that? I have no idea. So let's, before I, before we get to dark matter, let me, let mm -hmm. me make one, one point about the black hole and mm -hmm. why we can't understand what happens. We can't understand what happens at the singularity because it has a, 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 a zero dimension. Its radius is zero. Okay. And if you think about all the many of the laws of nature, and certainly the laws of nature that would apply here, you know, we have an equation, and that equation has a radius in the denominator of the equation. Mm -hmm. And but now we have a radius that equals zero. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, you can't divide by zero, right? So right. Those laws of nature then are no longer valid at the singularity, and so that's basically why we can't understand what's what's going on, uh, because okay. because the laws that describe everything are are invalid. Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that there aren't other laws or other equations that describe that. It's just that we don't know what what those are. Right. Okay. So there's there's mass there. There's an extreme gravity field there that's operating on a very small dimension but there's probably nothing 
unusual, right? It's, I mean, I, it's unlikely, although not impossible, that the the black hole, the singularity, is a portal into another universe or something. Maybe the wormholes that people talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It could be. I, you know, I, I just said we we don't know, and and so that's a possibility. Yeah, how do you test it if it, if everything well, that goes in there goes away? Yes, there's mm -hmm. no way to get so, that so information that, back. That that's right. So you can't you can't test it physically. I mean, we can we can think about it theoretically and and create models and mm -hmm. and you know whatever simulations and that sort of thing using different laws of 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 nature that we might come up with that might work in that environment. But but we haven't yet, and and so that you know that that will probably happen in the future. Um, dark matter is probably a completely different beast. Okay. And okay. as you point out, it has dark matter, as far as we can tell, has mass uh, and interacts very weakly, if at all, although probably it does interact with, with light in, or electromagnetic radiation in some way, but just very, very weakly. And so it's almost impossible to detect in any other ways. Now, interestingly, when dark matter was first uh, detected, and it was basically detected by measuring the masses of galaxies like like our own, and it was seen that you know as as you move further and further out from the edge of where the stars are in galaxy, there's there's gas clouds that go beyond the edge. Uh, the the mass doesn't fall off as you would expect, right? So think about a a CD, right, or a, mm -hmm. a vinyl record. Uh, if we yep. go back even yeah. further in time, and, and you have, you have a disc, right? <laughs> And that disc has mass in it. And as you, once you go past the edge of the disc and you go further and further out, if you're measuring the mass that's within, you know, where you're measuring, the ring that you're measuring, uh, the mass stays constant. And then as you get bigger and bigger, it's going to start, it's going to start dropping off. And okay. so similarly, we think that galaxy, we thought that galaxies should behave this way, but they don't. They show that, uh, their mass continues to, to at least be flat, if not increase, as you go beyond the visible edge, which means okay. that there's something there that we can't see. Mm -hmm. There's mass okay. there that we can't see. And then going beyond that, when you, when, you, when you realize that there's probably this stuff that we call dark matter, um, it also explains uh, how galaxies remain stable the way that we observe them. Uh, mm -hmm. it, Almost like they're kind of sitting in something, sort of. They're they're sitting in something that's kind of keeping them uh, stable in, in in the way that we observe them. If if <laughs> some of our models indicate that you know if we didn't have dark matter, galaxies would blow apart. The stars you know orbiting in the galaxy would 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 fly apart, and they don't. And mm -hmm. so this is another indication that there's something unseen. Mm -hmm electromagnetically but detected gravitationally and this is dark matter okay so when dark matter was detected uh you know you immediately think well what can it be and black holes were thought to be a candidate okay because we can't see black holes right black mm -hmm. holes are are by definition uh you can't see them electromagnetically mm -hmm. uh, directly you can see them indirectly but not directly and so it was thought, well, you know, maybe there are huge numbers of black holes out there and they are forming, you know, we can't see them electromagnetically, but, but they're forming this so-called dark matter. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's certainly possible. And, and there are certainly huge numbers of, of black holes out there, not only the big ones that are in the centers of galaxies that I study, but the ones that are caused by these uh, exploding stars, the supernovae that are much smaller. There's probably hundreds of millions of them without, within our galaxy. Mm -hmm. But number one, that's, that's not enough to form the dark matter. And number two, um, if they were forming dark matter at the numbers that they would need to be, we would be able to detect them in other ways. Oh, okay. And we don't. And so... There are lots of black holes out there. It's just that they're not, there's not enough of them to form. To account for the matter. dark matter. Because it's like 80% of the universe, they say, is dark matter, right? 
So yeah. that's interesting. So eighty percent of the of the matter of the universe. Of the matter of the universe is dark matter, right? That's because there's another thing that's even even freakier called dark energy that we can come to later if you want. Well, no, I'd love to talk about. Tell me about dark energy. I this is this is new to me. This is fascinating. So I, because you know, then I start to wonder. Okay, is if this dark matter is sort of holding things in place in certain ways, then is it is there something about the way that dark matter behaves? Again, when you're looking into, like you say, the distant universe or or the you know older universe, is there does it continue to I don't know become more dense? I guess is that the way to say it? I don't know, but you know, does the dark matter operate differently the further out that you go, away from where you are to be able to observe outward, right? That that might account for why things are not in the. A bigger size than what you think that they should be for the time that we presume they've had to develop. I don't sure. know. That's... Yeah, that, that, it certainly it certainly could be right. And and dark matter. Uh, the operative word there is is matter. It's mm-hmm. it behaves exactly gravitationally, just like matter that that you know that that we're familiar with. You know the stuff mm-hmm. that that that's around us that we that we can see. And so it it. It tracks, or rather, I should say that because matter that we can see is is a is a, a small fraction of of the matter in the universe. So the mm-hmm. matter that we can see tracks dark matter nicely. They, you know, they, they they seem to go hand in hand. Dark matter accumulates around galaxies, just where matter is, and and it's found mm-hmm. in clusters of galaxies where the gal- where the galaxies are, and so it they 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 seem to be intimately connected. And again, that's kind of what you would expect if you have stuff that is being operated on by gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are correct that as we go, as we look further into uh, the early universe, and, and it's a younger universe, by the way. So when we look, when we okay. look at more distant objects, we're looking at a universe that's younger than it is today, because we're looking in the past, right? We're going right, right. And so certainly the universe was smaller as we go further uh, in the past because the universe is expanding. And so now right. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what it is. If when we go back in time, it's getting smaller and smaller. So yes, the density of matter and, and dark matter is increasing. Uh, the, the universal density of matter and dark matter is increasing. And so absolutely, it, it could be that dark matter is playing an important role in those early objects in a way that we, you know, we, we hadn't anticipated that that could certainly be the case. That's really interesting. I do love that. That's the, the mysteries of the universe really are endless, aren't they? Well, and here's the mystery. And, and you know, jo- Johnny asked this uh, when we first started, what's something that's yeah. Uh, you know that, that that's really may, maybe disturbing, right? And 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 a disturbing thing here is that we think we know what dark matter is. That that is that it's some type of subatomic particle. Okay. That hasn't that hasn't yeah. been detected yet. Mm-hmm. And the hasn't been detected yet is is becoming problematic because we thought with experiments in particle accelerators like the Large Hadron Collider, say. Yep. In, mm-hmm. You know, in Europe, uh, we thought that we would be detecting these particles, these theoretical particles that we believe make up dark matter, and we have yet to detect them, and that's becoming problematic, mm-hmm. uh, because if we don't, then there's something wrong with our models, and that's interesting. something wrong. The the something that could be wrong with our models could be catastrophically wrong, and and yet. The models, we think we understand them very well, and they they explain a whole range of things, not only in fundamental physics and particle physics, but also larger scale in cosmology and astrophysics. And so if there's a fundamental problem with, again, our models and our, you know, our, our understanding of how nature works, uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's really quite disturbing, kind of scary, in fact. Although, again, yeah, right? So I don't see. I think of it as being a little bit exciting, though, that you know maybe oh, yeah. there there is something yeah. very, very, very cool that we just haven't stumbled onto yet, and you know maybe it's not that our models are wrong; well, yeah, they're just incomplete, right? There's always a thrill of the unknown. 
Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. And so scary in the sense that, you know, everything we know might be wrong, but exciting, uh, you know, in in that, hey, we're going to learn something new. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us what is like, because you did say dark energy. So now I just I have to know a little bit more before John goes, because I know he's got another question. But like I the idea of dark energy, I'm what what is this? What it what? Yeah. So and, and that's why I I specified when you said 80 percent. Um, yeah you know matter because now again remember matter energy right so mm-hmm. there's a matter and an energy budget in the universe and when you look at that uh this so-called dark energy is in fact uh 95 percent of what's out there in the universe and five okay. percent is matter of that 5%, 80 or 90% is dark matter. And, and, and the, the rest, the minuscule fraction that remains is stuff that we can see, stars, That we can observe. Us yeah. humans, right? So the matter that we observe in the universe is just a minuscule, it's like the scum on the, on the surface of a bathtub, right? Maybe even, even less than that. Yeah. So what is dark energy? Well, let me, let me, tell you how it was detected first of all okay uh yeah. the the short answer of what dark energy is is we don't know but okay so sure the, but... here, here's the here's the detection so we have these things that are called in astronomy that are called standard candles um, okay because light uh uh you, you know as you as you move away from a light source the intensity of the light drops, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I have a, a flashlight or a candle that's mm-hmm. one foot in front of me, it's going to be brighter than if it's two feet in front of me and, and mm-hmm. so forth, you know, if I'm measuring it with an instrument. Mm-hmm. And so we can, and, and it drops off uh, in a known way. The brightness drops off in a known way. So this is interesting because we can use that fact to measure distance mm-hmm. if we know how bright the candle is. Okay. Right? So if I have the candle in my laboratory and I measure exactly how bright it is, if I can transport the, that candle to the moon and I measure it on Earth, it's going to be fainter than in my laboratory. But I can compare my measured faintness with how bright it truly is. And there's a distance term in there. So I can I can calculate what the distance is to, to great accuracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have these things in astronomy that we call standard candles. And there are all sorts of different astronomical objects. The ones I'm going to talk about now are exploding stars, supernovae. So there's a class of supernovae that we think, through observation, we've determined that when they when these stars explode, uh, they and 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 they get brighter and then they and then they peak out in brightness and then they drop down and and become faint again. Mm-hmm. That peak brightness is the same for every similar type of supernova. Okay. And as far as we can tell, it's the same everywhere in the universe that we can observe that. So that's great because we observe, you know, one night we go out with our telescope and we observe one of these supernovae in a distant galaxy. It's a standard candle. We know how bright it is fundamentally. We measure how bright it is on the sky. We can determine the distance. Okay. So a project uh, 20 years ago now was looking at these these supernovae about a billion light years away so a billion years in the past okay and they were observing dozens and dozens of them and when they analyzed the data they realized that something was wrong because they were fainter than they should have been okay and so the first question is we've made a mistake <laughs> right? okay so the team that's studying this looked at every possible mistake they could have made, some sort of error that they might have made. Was it was it an error in the instrument? Was mm-hmm. there, you know, some problem mm-hmm. with the data analysis? Uh, you know, did they, were their computers injecting some sort of error? And they couldn't find any issues. And then not only that, but independent groups started making these observations with completely different instruments, and they observed the same thing, that they're fainter than they should be. Okay. So then you start to question, well, is there something going on uh, a billion years ago, right? Maybe there's 
maybe there's material between us and those supernovae that are causing the light to become fainter, right? If there's dust clouds in between us that we don't right. know about, you know, and the, and, and the like light is traveling something obstructing the, dust. the light. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sure. Exactly. So all these measures for, for about 10 years, several teams were looking at this and trying to find out what went wrong, because that's the most obvious thing. We made a mistake, mm -hmm. right? You know, we're, we're just human after all. Yeah. And uh, they realized that, you know, there was no mistake. And so how, how can something be fainter than it's expected to be? What, what, what might you do to make an object fainter than it, than it should be? Besides putting something in front of it to obstruct yeah, the light, yeah. I can't. I, if yeah, there's yeah, nothing besides in the all way, sorts of errors. Yeah, I, if there's nothing in the way, there's there's no errors in the instruments. What if I yeah. move it a little bit further away than I expected it to be? It's going to be fainter, right? Yeah. Oh, so it's away, further away than you think it is. Okay. Yeah. So we're measuring objects at a billion light years away, but 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 they're not a billion light years away. They're slightly further and that's what's making them fainter so how can that be and the only way that that can be is if the universe the universe is expanding mm -hmm. and, and yep. we know that and that's pretty settled science although again you know details are still are still uh missing right but the universe is expanding so if an object at a certain distance is further than we expect it to be that means that the expansion is not uniform it's right. increasing in this case and as it it turns out that coincidentally with the study about a billion years ago the universe started to accelerate in expansion and expand faster than it had been okay is, and, is, is there but, any kind of i don't know if uh, how you would measure it but is there a, an event horizon sort of situation of where that or is it a gradual situation where it like gradually is expanding that, that there's an acceleration like because i'm thinking in the in terms of if you're again the the disc or the vinyl record sort of imagery mm -hmm, sure. right the further out that you go it's it's faster the further out the expansion well that's certainly it's, the case right the faster the on um, you know the further away you are from from um from any point Mm -hmm. uh, you know that expansion is 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 moving moving more rapidly. That that's certainly the case, but it's all but it's but it's linear as as you go back. I mean, if you mm -hmm. took if you took that you know that rubber sheet that I was using to to, mm -hmm. to demonstrate the gravity, and and you know it's two dimensions, and 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 we all get on a on a on a side, you know, and there's a hundred of us, and we're pulling it, stretching it uniformly. In mm -hmm. the middle, the, the stretching is going to be. A small amount, but on the on the edges, the stretching is going to be a large amount. Okay, right. For a given amount of time, so that means that the edges of that rubber sheet are moving faster than than the the, the middle, and mm -hmm. the the universe operates this this way as well. Um, to answer your question, we don't. So the teams are looking at this now to see what that acceleration or what the expansion is doing over time, and that's still uh, work in progress. But it does appear that about a, it was uniform up to about a billion years ago, more or less, and then it started to to accelerate. And the only way that that can happen is if energy is being thrown into the universe. Okay. And that energy is what we call dark energy, right? Because you can't, you you need. To, okay. I mean, you're you're propelling the universe. You need to provide energy to do that. And that energy is what we call dark energy. And we don't know where that comes from or what it that's right it's, i mean it's like, not clear exactly what it is it's probably happening at the quantum mechanical level okay right so now, very difficult to detect when it's that far away yes that's correct and, <laughs> uh, but I, I i will add that very very shortly after the big bang and, mm -hmm. and perhaps we can we can we can discuss this in in another time since our time is is oh no I mean, it's uh, <laughs> all really super fascinating so it, you know happy yeah. to talk for as long as you're willing to talk with us about it you know because this is really great stuff yeah it's fascinating mm -hmm. so so very early on 
we have a we have what's called the inflationary period and mm -hmm. what happens is the universe and i'm talking 10 to the minus 35th of a second so a mm -hmm. minuscule fraction of a second after the big bang okay. the universe is the size the universe is the size of an atom and within uh you know a minuscule minuscule fraction of a second it inflates to the size of a grapefruit 10 okay. to the 50 10 to the 50 so one followed by 50 zeros uh orders of uh uh 10 to the 50 factor it inflates mm -hmm. from a, from the size of an atom to the size of a grapefruit and then expands uniformly thereafter mm -hmm. up until a billion years ago and then it starts to accelerate again so Okay. what uh, what it, it's not it's it wasn't clear and it still isn't what caused that inflationary period mm -hmm. um you know very early on but it's probably the same thing it's probably this dark energy that's and and, and you know why is this happening it, it, it appears to be a ratio between energy and matter okay and when the when the ratio between energy and matter in the universe changes and energy, you know, kind of dominates, then it causes inflation. And right. uh, that happened early on, and it happened, you know, a billion years ago. It might happen again. There may be some structure in there in between that we haven't detected yet. But this appears to be the case. What exactly is doing this is is still unknown, and that's an open area of, of modern cosmology, you know, the subfield of astrophysics that looks at the universe as a, large, as a whole. Now, you could say, well, that's kind of, you know, you, you mentioned this inflationary period, and that's kind of bogus, you know, why, why would you just throw that in there? And in fact, you know, we, we say in common parlance, we say the Big Bang Theory, it's actually the inflationary model, because the inflationary model is the one that, that took over from the original Big Bang. Um, right. And, and it described the Because the, the question I have is, you know, okay, well, if the Big Bang is like, you know, the universe was an atom and then like the, to the grapefruit, it's like, okay, well, where, what was the universe sitting in before it did that? Uh, right. So, you know, so fact, what, because, yes. because there's not just nothing and then all the things, right. Mm -hmm. Or is there, I, <laughs> do we there know? Right. Well, there probably, probably is, right. And so well, they, they say before the Big Bang, the uh, the universe fit into the size of a pen tip, basically, or like well, a, even, the, yeah. Well, in 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 fact, the, the at the Big Bang event, the universe was probably a singularity. Okay. So, so something something that had zero size, but but all the mass. And so when I said, you know, when I said that inflation started. Uh, 10 to the minus 35th of a second after the Big Bang and the universe at that point was the size of an atom. It had grown from, you know, basically nothing into something that was the size of an atomic, uh, an atomic nucleus, I should say, not, not okay. an atom. Um, so, so what, I mean, we like, to, see, this is the problem with language, right? We say it's the universe- It's very limited, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And there was probably nothing there there's certainly, we, we are not expanding into anything. The universe expanding is what there is, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is mind-boggling. It is, because you think, you know, the yeah. universe is infinite, space is infinite, mm -hmm. and infinity is obviously something our minds are not built to understand or contain, really. Right. And But if it's expanding, it... it, it it doesn't it doesn't make sense right it's counterintuitive if you blow up a water balloon and it starts taking up more space there's something around it that it's taking yes. up, even if it's air or, or in the atmosphere right so yes. are we're just a bubble and outside of it's like mm -hmm. non-existence like how do you you or know there's nothing outside yeah that's that's the problem so to, exactly to your point you know we're blowing up a balloon and that's blowing up into the atmosphere but that's not what happens in the universe which for that analogy to work, and, and this is difficult, but mm -hmm. you need to imagine yourself as a two-dimensional creature on the surface of the balloon, right? So think about that. Right. You know, you're, you're a two-dimensional creature. You're you a have, stick figure that I, some kid drew on the balloon. <laughs> on the <laughs> like, balloon, right? There, there's no up and down, right? Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. left and right and forward and backwards. Mm -hmm. Because that's, those are the two dimensions. 
And now the balloon is expanding. And what's happening to the, to the rubber or the balloon? It's stretching, right? And so your universe is expanding, but it's not expanding into anything because there's nothing in, in two dimensions, there's nothing to expand into. It's only us mm. sitting out here outside of that saying, oh, well, we're three dimensions. And, and so yeah. the third dimension. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're truly two dimensional on the surface of the balloon, you're not, you're not expanding into anything. Your, mm -hmm. your space, the fabric of the balloon, right. the fabric of space is expanding and creating a larger and larger universe for you. Right. And so in a similar way, we're three dimensional, of course. And so mm -hmm. it's, yep different than the two-dimensional creature but but it's that's the it's the same thing the universe is expanding and creating a larger larger universe but it's not going into anything it's so okay. fascinating for me to think about it really is and sure. you know because that's the other thing i always wonder is like okay well you say like the big bang and you think of it expanding like okay well where's the middle how do you determine yeah, where no the middle well there's you no know middle. so yeah no. so you can't well preferred yes everything that you measure is measured just based on where your your device is whatever you're measuring from exactly. so if you put it in space you know it has to you know you can get that measurement from out there but otherwise from where we are we have to measure from where we are and yes, exactly. you know so it's it's That's also right. fascinating like i said it kind of breaks my brain a little bit when i start thinking exactly. about it. it's, it's big ideas <laughs> you know yeah but in a good way though right it is oh, it's yeah, a very exactly. good way, very stuff. exciting way. Yeah, so, I was gonna say there was um like this is probably a two-part question. A with this occupation, how do you how do you get any sleep at night? Because how do you <laughs> how do you I mean with my brain, it's like how do you turn that circus off that's going on 24 hours a day? I, you know, I mean sometimes there are problems that we're working on and and yeah, exactly. that keeps you up. Or or more likely, you know, right. you're you're working all day on something and you can't figure it out and and mm -hmm. in the middle of the night you wake up and you say ah oh, you know i figured it out so there it there, is there are moments like that but i do have to say that you know it's it's well it's it's mind-boggling certainly yeah. um you know the universe right Absolutely. i do um i do a, in in when i teach uh mm -hmm. at, at university you know my first lecture i talk about scales and mm -hmm. because distance in, in the universe are incomprehensible. And so you have to scale mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And, and even if you scale them in a way that, you know, we can understand as humans, you're still, you, you still rapidly exceed that. So it's, yeah. it's, it's truly is mind boggling and mind numbing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we come to, because we, we, we look at, we look at things through like a lens of mathematics and, yeah. uh, you know, we, we throw out huge numbers that, that are meaningless mm -hmm. in and of themselves, but we understand what that means. And so there's a little bit of the of the romantic nature of astronomy that, you know, we kind of lose because yeah. we become embedded in that. And and without thinking really hard, if you did, you would realize that it's it, it's mind boggling. And, yeah. you know, but but it, but it's it's not. And so. From that perspective, I, I guess I can say I, I sleep well at night. But, <laughs> okay. but you, just, you know, when sometimes I sometimes you just have I, to let it go right? and just let it be what it yeah. is. Exactly. Well, but but when mean, you reflect on it, though, it's it it's just amazing, right? Yeah. And 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 j just you know, you look at these images from from any astronomical instrument, but certainly yeah. you know the modern ones, the web web, the new mm -hmm. web images or whatever, and it's just it's just phenomenal. And and then you sit down and you think, okay, well. You know, that's 10 light years across and, you know, there's whatever mass of dust in there. And, and, yeah. you know, it's meaningless when you say the number, but it's just, it's just awe-inspiring. It yeah, is sure. that there's so much out there and then there's so mm -hmm. much that, you know, that you don't know about what's out there and the, it, yeah. it continues to make more stuff that mm -hmm. you don't know about the more that you can yeah. like measure it and validate things and, and, mm -hmm. The more that you can put on sort of, I guess, the map as so to say, you know, yeah. the, it's expanding exponentially. So by the time you get this much understood, there's that much more out there that it's, you know, been cooking up and making that you got to figure yeah. out now. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure.
and how they, insignificant we are, right? In in, in, oh, in our sure. little corner of the universe. Right. But also yeah. how amazing and, though, because with all the things that are out there and all the things that we can see and, and that continuously are being created, you know, here we are on our little blue pearl in our little piece of the cosmos, yeah. you know, floating around and watching TikTok and YouTube <laughs> and, you know, and yeah. run, running our little everyday lives. I mean, it's, it, it's kind yeah. of amazing to think that humans developed even right of all of all the things that are out there that we're able to observe things that are that far out and and have come to that Mm -hmm. space it is really amazing to look at humanity where we are yes yes indeed and and you know you think about what makes us up right so so these fundamental elements mostly hydrogen right Mm -hmm. and and the oxygen and and a smattering of other things and you know those were all uh, well, the hydrogen comes from the Big Bang, but everything else is from the interior of of massive stars. And mm-hmm. someone said, I can't remember who it was, uh, that you know we humans uh, are uh, what the we are the universe understanding itself. Yeah, I think the paraphrasing of that, which and it's true, right? So we're, right. we're components of the universe, and yet we're put together in a way that we can ponder and, and understand what's going on. And, and that, and, you know, that really probably is probably other things. That's the incredible thing, right? If we're all made up of the same atoms and the same quantum stuff, and we are self-aware and, and have now mm-hmm. had that ability to be self-reflective and sentient, you know, what else out there has had the time to do that, but looks nothing like us, you know, and, yeah. and, I mean, aliens is one way to think of it, but then you have to wonder, like, does that look like an organic life form like us? Mm-hmm. Or is there a dust cloud out there that has just been around so long that it's somehow self-aware? And again, that goes into that science well, fiction yeah. realm, but it's certainly yeah. a fun idea to play with. Yeah, well, that's what that's the thing. It's like everyone thinks aliens are, you know, these tall, you know, human-like things, a little puddle of bacteria could be considered an alien life form. You know what I mean? That's the thing. It's it's such a... There's such a gray area there, I think, that it's like... Right, it can go either way. You know? there's, there's so much out there. Like, there has to be... Yeah. There has to be something, right? I think so, yes. Yeah. I, think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, Which I'm... So. And, is a, a whole other conversation that could take up a whole other hour, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, oh absolutely, no, I, yeah. I was going to say my second part que- to that question yeah. quick. Sure. So I had two people in my life that kind of got me into science as far as looking up and just more or less being okay with questions not being answered instead of everything being having an answer. Um, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson was one of them. Mm-hmm. And then um, my science teacher, Bill Mulaski, he was more he was an educator first. And I think that was important for the time because I was a punk kid and I needed direction more than anything. Um, <laughs> but um, they always taught me like they are. They always said you can't you can't look at space exploration without looking at colonization. So they're basic. The question is, what viable food source could sustain a population on Mars if we were to go to Mars? Yeah, we like the the colony the colonization uh theories that are out there or yeah. I don't know what would well, you what, call those the I'm just looking at like what options would we have that would give us that would sustain us as a population and give us nutrients to basically live. You know, what I mean like that we wouldn't just wither off. John wants to know if we're still going to have burgers and fries if we all go to Mars. <laughs> <Double>. <laughs> Maybe right. So so p- potatoes. I mean, you know, that was of course in, in the Martian. The Martian, yeah. Yeah. They they say that potatoes are you know are are a good crop to 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 use on on Mars. Um. It, so I'll start by saying that this is a little bit out out of my realm of expertise. Okay. But 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 you know, I mean, so we we have uh, explicit nutritional needs, mm-hmm. and those are going to have to be met, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I was always in intrigued by so i'm i'm a star trek uh i'm, I'm a sure i'm a, a trekkie, a trekkie. Uh, sure. at heart more than than anything else although i i, I love it all you know yep. and and um much of science fiction you have uh, uh biscuit like 
things that you know but you yeah. eat in there yeah. they have 100 of nutrients and whatnot and and i suspect that you know may at some level we, we we may be able to do that although you know i uh, one can question the the highly processed nature of that that sort mm -hmm. of thing though i would <laughs> yeah. not until uh, until a colony or or until explorers are self-sufficient in in some way that is being able to grow things and i think that's going to be yep. necessary at some point you know, mm -hmm. you're going yeah. to have to have that sort of freeze-dried stuff that we see on, you know, at the International Space Station, for example, right. or yeah. some sort of nutrient cubes or something, just mm -hmm. because transporting stuff is so difficult. Yeah. And I don't know how you get around that. I don't know how you get around that easily. I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest issue, of course, of mm -hmm. interplanetary or even interstellar travel is mass you, you know you're moving you have to yeah. move a lot of mass and so you want to minimize that um, yeah so you're so like your proteins and stuff like that would more than likely come from supplements like pills and powders and stuff like that and then you would supplement carbohydrates with potatoes i i would yeah i think so but you know but, like but, that. but that's not very healthy i mean even on you know, no. Whether, right. <laughs> no. You know because we have those sorts of supplements now right and, yep. and it's mm -hmm. it's not not an ideal situation. So, so maybe you, you're okay with a non-ideal situation for, you know, 10 years or whatever, however long that you need just to get you to, to bootstrap over. But I think, you know, we'll really need to be able to, to do something different. And, and I, 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 I fully expect that stuff can be done in the lab, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for sure. you know, maybe we don't have to grow potatoes or spinach or whatever but we can mm -hmm. we can grow potato cells in you know in a sure. petri dish i mean there is some like the other element to that i think would be psychological right that like mm -hmm. as humans food is something that is necessary but that certainly in our culture at least it has there's other things attached to it right you know we have mm -hmm. holidays and big meals together for a reason right there's so there's that um I don't know if you would want to maybe say more creative element about food and, and variety and the diversity of food that we have access to that yeah. would not having that would probably be a detriment to, I guess, you know, mental mm -hmm. health. It's not it's obviously mm -hmm. not perfect for your body situation generally. But then, like, you know, the what are the mental effects of that? But, but do you think don't you think that that could be trained out? Well, I mean, that depends, right? I'm certainly not looking for that training because yeah. I'm a big fan of the food here on Earth. No, 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 of, of course. And so, so, but so yeah, you'd us... have to, you would have to be willing to train yeah. yourself into that's not why you're there. Well, well I or, think, the... or, or, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I think okay. the biggest thing with the food thing, like in outer space or like in Mars, would be like you would have to sacrifice indulgence for necessity. You know what I mean? You would have this much to eat. You could, you know, chocolate cake thing in the past, probably. You know what I mean? Yeah. You would eat what, but you, of course, what you needed, not what you wanted, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Or what, yeah, it's, certainly what you had, right? For but, sure. But, but, but I was thinking like, like an intergenerational, you know, starship or, mm -hmm. or, you know, 100 years on, on Mars, slowly with the generations, you you might have to engineer this in yeah. that you know you're no longer doing the the food based cultural things that humans you know on Earth right. have done. Right. So the colony, the culture of the colony would be very different. You might be getting your energy a different way, and so yeah, you would have to the creativity element of food, the way that we see it, wouldn't necessarily be something that would exist there. That's just not. So what mm -hmm. would what would they find to replace it would be the the other interesting exploration, yeah. I suppose, right? If you're not spending that time cooking and watching the fun cooking shows on Food yeah. Network and what have you, right? Then what are you, you know, doing with your time? Kind sure. of thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think you know that that so I come back to Star Trek, right? And and Star Trek yep. is in a post monetary civilization where you don't have to work, right? Because everything right. is provided and you don't you don't need money or whatever and so mm -hmm. what do you do with your free time I mean, it's the same sort of question right I, so i'm no longer mm -hmm. watching cooking shows but i'm doing something mm -hmm. else uh, right uh, what's what's you know, the new think, thing you create yeah you know in the first generation or two is probably you know that's going to be problematic and and people are just going to have to make do but you know i can imagine mm -hmm. a time that you know someone finds our 
you know, diary and they think back, oh, you know, great, great, great grand, grandma and grandpa, you know, they mentioned something about chocolate cake and what, what is this thing? What is this chocolate? Eat, but, yeah. Yeah. What is this chocolate you speak of? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we haven't been I able to it. figure out what that word means. And, or yeah. Whatever. Again, yeah. language is limited. And then if you can't like find some chemical breakdown of what it is to be able to try to recreate mm-hmm. it in their lab, don't know, don't know what that is. Yeah, so sure. fascinating. I love it. Well, we do, again, want to be respectful of your time, <laughs> but just so appreciate you coming to talk to us about this stuff. I like yeah, that was a great could, conversation. We could do, honestly, hours of this. So, you know, Dr. Yeah. Joe, we'd love for you to be our regular, like, this is the new science news story. Please explain this to us. We're fascinated, but confused. Right. <laughs> that was a great. Just and, tell and, us yeah, the- I- I was going to say, just tell us the stuff that's going to scare us. That's all that we want to hear. Well, that's the net. So that, yeah, we've, we've, we've passed Halloween, but, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of scary stuff out there that we can talk about. Yes. But I'd love to come back and thank you. I I had a great time too. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, I have been Haley. I've been Johnny. And this has been Dr. Joe. And this (laughs) has been Johnny. Johnny. Haley, Haley, Dr. Joe, Day of Fun. Thank you so much for listening. Y'all do please check out all the links that we'll put in the description. You can find more information about the observatories. We'll share out Dr. Joe's information. You can go find him and check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Johnny Haley DOF. And thank you so Mm -hmm. much, everyone, for listening. This has been great. I've had so much fun. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thanks. Thank you. 